heavily, I'm a clown. What's up, guys? I have a really quick interview for you with a guy named Kevin that I met at the Bitcoin conference in Miami. Really cool. I just kind of bumped into him one day when I was eating lunch and we got to talking and he was involved in a really cool project that I don't think very many people in Bitcoin are aware of. And I wanted to bring some attention to it because I think that this is a really big deal. This is a really cool project and you guys are going to love to hear from him. So let's kick that off and I will come back and talk to you at the end. This episode of the Bitcoin Echo Chamber podcast is sponsored by WTFHappenedIn1971.com. The economics meme taking the world by storm where all of us are trying to find out the answer to what the heck happened in 1971. WTF1971 also has a merch store now. You can find it at WTF-1971.creator-spring.com. I'll post a link to that down in the show notes if you want to check it out. Thanks for the support. How are you, man? I am good. I am good. I'm still uh, somewhat trying to recover from, I don't know if it's a jet lag or too much work. <laughs> probably a combination. That's, that's and the heat like, too probably didn't help, huh? Taking it super slow. The, that, that's uh, uh, Florida heat's no joke. Huh? The Florida heat? Yeah, it was something. It was something. Just going to grab a bottle of water. Where are you now, if you don't mind me asking? I'm in the Azores. It's a bunch of islands in the middle of the Atlantic. Um, oh, okay. It's part of Portugal. So I am technically in Portugal. Um, but yeah, I'm like, it's the western part of uh, Europe, like the continent. Um, we're just at the limit between the European and American uh, tectonic plates. So like on a bunch of volcanoes, basically. So yeah, it's oh. a pretty cool spot. Okay. Uh, I, I did start recording. I just, um, yeah, yeah. I don't know if you yeah. want that public or not. I can cut that out. No, no problem. Um, yeah, I'm very public about all of that. So okay. Okay. Cool. Yeah. Um, well, so you and I got the chance to meet at the, uh, at the conference and I really liked talking to you. I think we, we met where you, we were both trying to shove some food in our mouth in between, uh, running around like crazy people. But, um, yeah. you were telling me about revolt. And I've looked into it since you and I talked, and it's it's a very interesting project. Um, and I was hoping, so so uh, correct me if I'm wrong. You said you've never really done any interviews on this project. We did, um, just we like not any recently. Um, we did a few like chat. Uh, we had one with uh, Aaron um, last year in March or April or something like that. And uh, I also did a presentation on the uh, Reckless VR from Udi um, okay. around the, the architecture, like the original architecture. But of course, like a lot of things have changed since then. Uh, we actually, you know, created a company, hired a few people, and now we have the product actually working. I mean, it's not completely finished, but you can you know, run it on your computer and stuff. Um, so yeah, it's, uh, it's, been a, it's been a while since we we gave any update and basically last time was just when we had a, a very basic paper architecture and, uh, and yeah, uh, we've, we've worked quite a bit on it since then. Well, um, I know when we talked to the conference, there were a few things that you brought up that I was super interested in, but for the listeners, um, 
maybe like kind of at a high level, can you tell us what Revolt is and then dumb it down a little bit and tell us why it's useful? Yeah, yeah, cool. Um, so Revolt is going to be the first um, practical Bitcoin Vault implementation. Um, and what a Bitcoin Vault is, um, it's a kind of protocol um, that's been researched like extensively on Bitcoin since at least 2016. Um, where we can actually restrict how funds can move. Um, and that's a big deal because currently on Bitcoin, the only thing you can, uh, you can do is restrict who can spend the funds and maybe, you know, put a time lock if you want. So you have like the when and the, and the who, but you cannot change like how funds can be spent. You cannot have like spending limits. You cannot have like whitelist of addresses and things like that. Um, and so, yeah, vaults are a way to do that. Um, there are different ways of doing it. But uh, vaults are one of the ways that are um, quite interesting to do that. And it's really, really important for security reasons, because that means that you can now design um, like custody solution for you or for other companies or people um, where actually you can restrict how the funds can move, even if like the private keys are leaked or things like that, which is like really cool. <laughs> mm. It's like, you know, it's like, yeah, the layer of security saying, you know, that even if you breach into my hot wallet, uh, well, you cannot move the funds except to my, I don't know, Kraken account um, and you cannot withdraw it to your own thing. So that's really, really strong. And that creates a, an entire new system of things you can build on Bitcoin. And also like, it's a very strong deterrent. So if people start really using this kind of stuff, um, then it really doesn't make sense to do the $5 wrench attack, you know, coming to someone and threatening them. Because even if you threaten them, they cannot move the funds outside of policy. So it's really, really cool um, against a lot of different type of attacks that are just not covered today. The first thing that I think of when you talk about that uh, and the way that it could potentially change security models is Lightning. Because of the fact that Lightning is a hot wallet, I guess potentially you could whitelist those funds to only be settled to whoever you have the channel opened with. And that might um, potentially... Uh, soften some of the security risks of using Lightning, which is generally speaking a hot wallet? Yeah, for Lightning, I don't really know how we could integrate, to be honest. Um, so on a technical level, um, the way Lightning works today, and you know, it's evolving and it's changing all the time, but today it's between two parties, right? Each channel is between two parties and the network is just a network of these two party channels that are just connected to each other. Um, so the settlement itself is only between the two people that open the uh, channel and the original point, right? So if you're like, when you close your channel, I mean, when you bring back the front on-chain, right? And so the on-chain part is where we apply uh, Revolt. Um, we, let me think. Yeah, we wouldn't, we wouldn't be able to plug on top of like the, the layer two of lightning because it's using a completely different system, you know, HTLCs and there is no blockchain kind of thingy. Hmm. Um, so yeah, like a vault there wouldn't work um, as far as I know. I mean, maybe if like you look into very complex, um, you know, kind of research on lightning on opening channels between more than two participants and things like that. Um, yeah, maybe start making sense. Yeah. But for okay. different layer twos, let's say if you take, I don't know, like federated um, side chains or even just um, federated banks, like kind of delegating your funds to like a wallet that's shared between multiple keys. And then you, I mean, tokenize this Bitcoin either like on a liquid form or whatever else. Um, Revolt here can actually have a use. 
So you could have the user be able to enforce what kind of policy the funds can be withdrawn from this kind of custodian thingy. Um, and that could be fun. So yeah, I mean, let, let's not go too, uh, too broad, but I could say that Technically, the way Revolt is designed today, we assume that the participants uh, know each other. So we're looking into it as like a you know corporation kind of thing. So the people within the corporation, you know, they have legal agreement with each other and things like that. Um, but but nothing prevents you from doing some kind of a Revolt architecture between participants that are maybe not known by the public or by whoever they offer services to. Um, so you can think of like gray market kind of thing, right? where like you could deposit your funds with maybe one of these organizations, but you also run a watchtower that prevents them from stealing your funds, kind of thing like that. Mm. So yeah, there, there are things you could do. Um, I'm talking about watchtowers quite a bit. Uh, for the listeners, um, the watchtower is how we actually enforce the policies on Revolt um, because Bitcoin doesn't have the logic at the consensus level on like restricting outputs. So there is no such thing as like covenants on Bitcoin today. Um, so instead, we are kind of emulating them by having pre-signed transactions, and then we can push a pre-signed transaction that's going to prevent a spending from happening. Uh, but the way we push this transaction can be either manually, if you have somebody, you know, looking at the blockchain, and then you get, I don't know, a pop-up message when somebody's trying to spend funds from your wallet, and you can press a button to actually cancel it. Um, or it could be automated, uh, automated like a watchtower. Um, so the, the watchtower concept exists from like the Lightning Network, basically, because on Lightning, it's the same kind of thing. It's a reactive defense mechanism. You have to look at what's happening on the blockchain. And if something is weird, then you push a pre-signed transaction uh, that has priority over the other one uh, because of time locks. So Interesting. So, so the way a vault actually works then, and, and I'm, I'm trying to piece this together from what you're saying, um, it, it's a series of, or maybe not a series is not the right word, but by giving the pre-signed transactions higher priority uh, at the protocol level, you can prevent those funds from being moved or spent in any way, which you haven't already designated with the pre-signed transaction is what you're saying. Yeah. And that that's really cool because this priority thing is actually enforced by Bitcoin, right? Um, the time lock is actually a thing that is at the consensus level. Um, and so it's really cool because we can have different paths um, in the UCXO we're spending and we have the normal path that's like the spending transaction is using, but this one is time locked. And so the spending has to wait, let's say, I don't know, let's say six blocks um, before being actually mined. And during the time of these six blocks, we have like, like a lot of time where we can actually push a console transaction that will, that will actually you know, double spend pretty much this UCXO and send it back to where it comes from. Um, and we're using pre-signed transaction because um, that way we don't need to have private keys on any of the defense uh, servers. Like it's just a pre-signed transaction. So even if you breach into a watchtower or things like that, you can't do anything. I mean, you can't steal the funds. You can only prevent from, uh, funds from moving, which is really cool. Um, and so, yeah, it, it's, I'm trying to find a, a good name for this kind of setup because it's not a layer two thing. But it's not fully layer one either, because the enforcement of the policy is not at the consensus level. Um, but the enforcement of the order of the transaction is. So I like to call it like layer 1.5 or something. But uh, I mean, it's not really a layer as such. It's just like we're abstracting some logic uh, on top of Bitcoin Core itself. Um, but then, yeah, the enforcement is really done at the blockchain layer. That was one of the things about your project that really piqued my interest, because I asked you 
what what bips you would need to get to get this going and you told me none you know like we yeah. can do it with with what we've got already in the protocol architecture so um what if is it so is it possible for someone to push another pre-signed transaction with a higher priority that can overwrite the precedence of the previous one we could design something like that yes um because that's just, an attack vector too like no um not for us um I mean, you could think of like replacing the pre-signed transaction by another pre-signed transaction, but um, in Revolt, the number of signature you need for that is basically everyone. It's the N of N. So that would be everyone. Yeah, we, we have different layers. Um, we have something called the stakeholders, which is like a large uh, multi-signature scheme. It would be, you know, like the stakeholder in a business, maybe, I don't know, five, seven people, I don't know, the board of directors. They don't have, first, they don't want to be involved in the daily spending process. They have other shit to do. So instead, um, what they do is actually delegating um, the, like, some of the funds to the people that actually need to do the day-to-day -day transactions, like the CFO or whatever, you know, payment people in the company. Um, so this delegation process is really simple on Revolt. It's like every morning or whatever amount of time, maybe once a week, depends on, depend on the use case, but uh, let's say every morning, uh, these people, these stakeholders, um, are actually going to open their Revolt wallet or whatever wallet they use that's compatible with Revolt. Um, they're going to see all the new deposits that arrived on the on the on the address, like on the shared uh, company uh, account, and then they can actually do this pre-signing stuff. Uh, it's just pressing a button for them to delegate funds, right? It's not they don't have to do anything very technical. But what's happening in the in the background is that they are actually pre-signing all of these security transactions. So we have the concept transaction that then is going to be sent to the watchtowers and be able to you know uh, revolt um, when something goes wrong. We also have another layer that we call the emergency transaction. Um, I don't know if you saw that, but yeah, the emergency transaction is like something that should never be pushed to the network. Um, but we have it as like a very strong deterrent against a very motivated attacker, let's say, I mean, a bunch of armed people that come to your board of director meeting with guns and threaten everyone to, you know, uh, going to kill everyone if you don't move the money. Um, we have this other layer that's called the emergency that's actually moving all of the funds outside of the architecture to like a very, very deep vault. Um, let's say very long time lock and more, even more signatures and things like that. So something you cannot move the funds even under threat. Um, and so, yeah, we have different type of pre-signed transaction. And yeah, so technically this, like these stakeholders um, are a N of N. So everyone needs to sign to delegate. Um, and that's also the path that the console is using. So all the revolt transaction is using. So it's technically already having N signatures. So it's pretty large. You could, if you wanted, replace this console transaction, like the pre-sign one by another one if you want. But you would need all of these people to also sign it. So it would mean that they are in agreement to actually bypass it. So this process is called the bypass in Revolt. We don't talk about it because it's really specific. But uh, yeah, if you really need to move the funds in a faster way or things like that, um, you need to convince everyone in your board of directors to do it, which is fine, but it's just never going to happen. And I think it's worth distinguishing here. Um, and again, correct me if I'm wrong, but Revolt in and of itself with uses the the pre-signed transaction uh to facilitate this this security model but revolt is not necessarily multi-sig specifically um just that one example you gave there was right 
Yeah, so um, it, it depends. So Bitcoin vaults usually don't use multi-signatures, actually. Well, all designs so far. Um, it's just that Revolt is going to be the first one like that you can actually deploy. Uh, the other ones all have like security um, assumptions that are not reasonable or require some changes to the Bitcoin protocol. Um, so Revolt is the one that works today. Um, Revolt uses a multi-sig at the stakeholder level. Um, that is always the case. I mean, you could use it without a multi-sig, but that's like a very extreme case. Let's not use this one. So you would have a multi-sig at the stakeholder level, but then for the managers, the people who actually spend, it could be just one person. Yeah, it doesn't have to be a multi-sig at all. Could be even an automated service. So it could be like, you know, um, I don't know, you have like a setup, like an exchange or something where it's not people that are actually signing the transactions. It's just, you know, on the server, you have your server signing a lot of transactions when, you, when your users withdraw money, for example. Um, but you can still apply these restrictions to this server. So you could be like, you as the stakeholder of the business, let's say you are BitMEX and uh, your cold storage is like a three out of four. You replace that by a revolt uh, deployment and that becomes, I don't know, maybe a four out of four where you delegate funds to your uh, hot wallet that is actually doing the payout to your users. But for this hot wallet, you put an extra, um, let's say you, you add extra spending policies that would say you cannot move than more than like 100 Bitcoin per uh, UTXO and you cannot move more like than 10,000 Bitcoin per day. Otherwise, um, the funds are going to be, you know, reported. Um, so that's really useful. Even if there is like zero, technically like zero participant that is a manager, it's just a machine that does it. Um, it can still be protected by spending policies. The really interesting thing to me, um, beyond the obvious security benefits that, that you can see from this, is the ways in which it might improve the internal efficiencies uh, of, of certain business organizations. Because it's almost like um, spending is pre-audited you know, internally, rather than um, having to hire all kinds of compliance professionals to make sure that um, you know, money is going where it's supposed to go within turn with with inside the the internal architecture of an organization. You can pre-designate uh, the the destinations for that money and make sure that it only ever goes where it's supposed to go. Yeah, it's a, it's one of the very big difference with like a traditional multi-sig. Um, it's that you basically pre-approve in advance uh, the spending, of course with restrictions, but you pre-approve it. Meaning that when someone actually needs to spend the money, they don't have to ask you again, hey, can you please co-sign this multi-sig transaction or something like that? They don't have to deal with that. And that's one of the big pain today of multi-sig, especially in organizations, is that if you need like two, three, four people to sign every outgoing transaction, um, at some point it becomes a nightmare. It's just you are going to chase other people so they can please also sign your PSBT, otherwise the funds are locked. And then the people are being annoyed, so they just sign without verifying. So in the end of the day, if it's just becoming an annoying process and people just have, you know, multiple hardware wallets on the same table instead of having, you know, geographically distributed multi-sig, then they don't benefit any of the security of the multi-sig. So using something like Revolt really is about, you know, making the process much easier, um, but also keeping the security of a very large multi-sig at the root, like what we call the stakeholders. And these stakeholders don't have to look into every transaction. They just delegate funds and they put policies in place, um, which is like, much more powerful in terms of like day-to-day -day business spending. Um, now, in terms of compliance, um, this is something we don't talk about much either, but the, the, the policies, the watchtowers, don't have to be run by your business. 
you could actually also have other policies that are running watchtowers. So that could be, you know, you could be using a third party compliance or auditors, um, just looking at your business and making sure things go right. Um, they could run a watchtower. So they could just looking at the blockchain without having any form of private key, they could prevent you from spending if something is wrong. Uh, that could also apply to like an insurance policy, uh, an insurance company that would offer you an insurance policy on your business. Let's say you're an exchange. Um, they could actually make sure that, you know, if something really wrong is supposed to happen, they can prevent the spending from happening instead of just offering you a, you know, insurance policy that they can't really, they can't really enforce. Oh, that's so you can do a lot of, uh, yeah, you can do a lot of like things where a third party can actually add policies to you. Um, and also the policies are not predefined as such. You can change them on the flight. So you could change the policies after you delegated funds. So that could be something, you know, moving over the, over the day or things like that. I mean, it, it, it depends on, again, on the use case. Uh, I don't have a good example now, but let's say if you were, you know, having a whitelist of only your suppliers that can be paid um, and you have to approve your suppliers before they can actually receive Bitcoin, um, you could add a new supplier to your watchtower policy without having to re-delegate funds again. So it depends on the process. You can imagine like um, watchtowers that are actually more flexible um, than just, you know, if you had covenants on Bitcoin. So if you had actually hard restrictions on the output, having to move the funds again and then re-delegate them, uh, we don't have to do that. Interesting. And is that, I mean, I guess, you know, at, at a certain point, nothing is totally 100% secure, right? Because theoretically, couldn't a bad actor add um, some add some address that they want as a, as a whitelist? I mean, I guess... Yeah, eventually all security models break down, right? But uh, it, practically speaking, it, it's it's probably yeah. pretty difficult to do. Yeah, and um, so yeah, so the Watchtower um, way the way it works for us is that every stakeholder runs a Watchtower, and uh, the number of Watchtower is not known. So it's kind of like you can you can make the policy more restrictive, but it's actually hard to make it less restrictive. Um, so it's really, it would be really, really hard for an external attacker to try to add their address to the whitelist, for example. Mm. You would have to have it signed by all stakeholders and they would have to update their watchtower policy by it. You know? And, and um, for my clarification, probably for the audiences too, that when, when you say watchtower, we're talking about those watchtowers only apply to uh, that covenant, right? They're not watchtowers that watch a whole distributed network like you would see with... Um, is, is that right? Is that my assumption correct there? No, they are, a watchtower is basically a Bitcoin core node uh, with a little bit of extra logic on top. So it's actually a Bitcoin node and it's looking at the mempool and at the blockchain. And so when it sees, we have this kind of ephemeral transaction in between when, so something we call the unvault. Um, that's part of the vault design. So when this um, transaction is pushed to the Bitcoin, the Bitcoin network, um, it means that the time lock is actually started. And so when this transaction is seen by a watchtower, then it's actually checking the logic. Like, you know, is it normal that there is a spend happening? What is actually the child of this transaction? So where is the money going to go? So it's going to fetch this spending transaction and check the, check the, the well, compare with its policy. Um, if it cannot know, it, again, it depends on the policy, but let's say if it's white, whitelist, if it cannot know what, why there is this unspent, uh, no, this unvault transaction uh, pushed to the Bitcoin network, 
uh, and it cannot fetch the spend transaction because maybe, I don't know, maybe it's an attack and someone just doesn't want to publish it before the time lock expires. And then automatically the watchtower is going to push a cancel because something is wrong. If it's not capable of verifying the policy, by default, it's going to prevent the funds from moving. Um, but yes, it's actually, you know, full nodes that are looking at the blockchain uh, all the time. Sorry, I think I, maybe I worded my question poorly. Um, is every watchtower watching every vault or? All right. Okay, cool. No, um, no, they're not. Yeah, it's per Okay, that's what I thought. Okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's not a network as such. Um, yeah, it's per deployment. It's like each vault is like its own group of things and each watchtower is just watching its own group of things. Mm. Yeah. And the number of watchtowers you have watching a single vault is um, really only for the sake of redundancy and for the sake of multiple parties having an eye in on what's going on, right? Yes. So every party within this deployment can have their own policy. So each watchtower could have a different policy, actually, and it's just a stricter one that applies. Um, and also, yeah, then redundancy, because it's super important. If you watch, if all watchtowers are offline, then you don't have any protection. That's the problem with mm. both. Um, if there is no covenant, I mean, it's just approved by default. So you need a way to defend. The same problem with lightning, you know, it's like mm. you have to have your lightning node connected, otherwise you can't defend yourself. Okay, um, so, so yeah, redundancy, important. Let me see if I can, I'm going to try to repeat back how this is working um, for anybody listening who might be lost. So you, you've got your, you've got your coin set up in the vault, right? And they can only go certain places and you have your watchtowers with, and the watchtowers hold the pre-signed transaction that has a hold, holds the higher priority versus anything that might go through the normal mempool. And should the watchtower see a transaction that isn't in its whitelist that says, yes, this transaction is okay. It go ahead, it goes ahead and pushes out the pre-signed transaction that's going to sort of sweep those funds to where they're supposed to go and prevent whatever the attacker is trying to do. Exactly, yeah. Perfect, that's cool. I'm, I'm glad I understand it. Um, now, I wanna, I wanna shift gears just a little bit because when you and I were talking at the conference, the thing that got me the most interested when I was talking to you was when you started to tell me about your business model, because I'm always fascinated by free and open source software uh, and how they monetize. And I was delighted to learn that Revault is a, is a FOSS uh, and um, that you guys have open sourced everything and you're giving it away for free, but you're still a business that makes money. And you mentioned uh, the Red Hat model, uh, similar to Linux, which I think is just incredible. And I, I honestly think it's going to replace uh, the vast majority of the way businesses monetize software in the future is through free and open source. Um, can you tell us a little bit about how you guys intend to monetize this product if you're just giving it away for free? Yeah, so currently we're not making money, um, <laughs> but uh, soon, hopefully. So yeah, we, we basically provide everything for free, like the architecture is open source, the you know, code is open source, the libraries are open source. We even built a wallet on top because right now no wallet is compatible with Revolt. So we have our own wallet um, and you can use all of that. Um, so pretty much everything we do, or everything we do, not, not pretty much. We also are actually looking for getting some changes in like hardware wallets and things like that to be compatible with our stuff. Um, and same thing, you know, we really want them to open source this side of the thing. So if we have to sponsor them, um, to add, let's say, a mini script capability to hardware wallets and things like that. Um, we are going to require them in exchange that, you know, the code is open source as well. Um, we really don't want anything proprietary in this business. Um, there is different reasons for that, but one of them is just like security, you know, it's, it's, it's just very important when you're talking about putting things like hundreds of millions of dollars 
um, under you know a vault architecture, it's really important that anyone can review it and audit it without having to you know call us and sign an NDA or whatever bullshit. And sadly, today in Bitcoin, like every single custodian is closed source. I mean, you have no idea how they have their security working. Yeah. They are having keys and you know they co-sign your transactions, but you don't know if it's a guy signing it or if it's an HSM or if it's just a Raspberry Pi. I mean, nothing is transparent. So hopefully, you know, with Revolt, we're gonna bring something new to, to the security space here. Um, yeah, uh, the business model for us is a Red Hat model, um, meaning that our clients should probably um, pay us or buy a subscription to get support. Um, because I mean, it's free open source software. You can't just expect to be able to call us for free and you know get support, uh, knowing that you know everything is free and you know deploy it if you want, but don't expect you know there is no warranty behind. Um, so yeah, if you want some like support, you just basically pay a subscription. There is different SLAs or so service level agreements, um, depending on the size of your business or your requirements. You may just need like you know next day email response, or you might be. Uh, traditional bank and you need, you know, someone on the phone in 30 minutes, no matter what time of the day, no matter if it's Christmas day or anything like that, of course, that's more expensive. Right. Um, and then we also have, you know, like kind of the more consulting ish side of things. So when you deploy revolt and you need to integrate it to your services, um, imagine you are already a Bitcoin exchange and you want to integrate with revolt. You already have your services running. You already have a lot of infrastructure. Um, you're not just going to use the revolt wallet. Um, you're probably going to integrate that with your existing stuff. Um, so for that, for us, it's like bringing a team there for a few weeks, few months, maybe even. Um, of course, we get paid for that, but that really makes sense instead of just having to train your people to learn how a protocol works, right? So there is monetization there, uh, but that doesn't really scale. So then for the scalability of the business um, or the scaling of how we can make more money, um, then yeah, we can host services like watchtowers, which are trustless. Um, there are other part of the architecture we can also host. Um, and so, yeah, this, because the watchtower is basically looking at UTXOs, we know how much money is in these UTXOs, so we can charge per amount being secured. And we can make it like oh. a fraction of what a third party custodian costs. Like That's interesting. Least, 10x cheaper. Um, so yeah, higher security, more transparency, and much cheaper. And we deal with like some of the old watchtowers. That's very interesting. It's it's like um it's like a non-custodial security service. That, that that's I've never thought about it that way. With you guys hosting the watchtowers for the end user and essentially yeah. providing a layer of security while they're holding their own keys. That's very interesting. Yeah. So we should never be the only watchtower they have. Uh, because otherwise, that's trusting us. Your redundancy, you basically. replicate with us and with other uh, companies that will be offering the same service. Right. Yeah, that, and that makes sense, too, because it's like, you know, if I wanted just another pillar of redundancy in my security model and all of my watchtowers are either hosted, you know, in my in my warehouse where I have all my server architecture or I use cloud, whatever, and some of that goes down and I'm you know, up shit's creek without a paddle, I can just say, well, it's okay. I had the redundancy with the watchtower that I have over with the revolt guys. That's really cool. I didn't even think about that as a possibility. All right. Well, so, uh, Kevin, is there anything else we didn't talk about that you'd like to mention with revolt? Uh, very good question. So yeah, I can talk a little bit about like the business side of thing, but not the money side of thing. Um, sure. but currently we're a team of five people. Um, all of us are, Technical. Well, I'm the least technical in the team. I'm the only non-developer. 
Um, I know what I'm talking about, but I'm, I'm not a coder. <laughs> so currently team of five, uh, we've been working on it for a little bit more than a year now. Um, there is a demo on our GitHub that you can actually run and play with. Um, you can run it, run it on like red test or testnet. Uh, and see how the transaction flow works. You can cancel transactions, you can, you know, delegate funds, things like that. Um, we hope that we will have finished um, the implementation completely in three months, including the watchtowers. So of course that's gonna be open source as well. Um, so in three months, it should be able, like anyone should be able to deploy it um, entirely like for actual putting funds on it, which, which is a big deal. Um, but yeah, so currently we're at this stage and of course, um, we are at the point where we're very close to find, uh, our first, you know, clients or customers, like people we will deploy with. Um, and of course a team of five people is definitely not enough for that, especially if they are large customers, like big exchanges, um, five people is just not going to, not going to be enough to support them for integration and support and everything else. So we are going to hire quite a bit um, by the end of the year, if things go well. We're planning on hiring quite a, quite a lot of different roles, more technical people, of course, um, but also people on the non-technical side of things that we will need. So, you know, sales, marketing, things like that. Um, so, you know, maybe some of your uh, listeners are going to be uh, interested in, in learning more and maybe, you know, applying at some point for a job. And so, yeah, and we're currently also fundraising for actually, you know, letting us hire all of these people but uh that's very cool i I just want to congratulate you guys i think you you've done you've built something really cool uh and i i hope that you do very well uh as you as you get ready for your full launch yeah we hope as well and another thing with open source software is that even if the business side of thing fails for some reason uh it doesn't matter what we've built is there and it's Mm. there to stay so uh like i'm 100 percent sure that people are going to use revolt in the future I hope we will succeed as a business as well, mm-hmm. but you know, too. as such, it doesn't matter. The, the, the big work is done. That's a very commendable attitude to take. It's something you poured your life into for so long. Um, well, Kevin, I, I love talking to you, man. This was great. I learned a lot. Uh, I really appreciate your time. Uh, where can people find the project if they want to learn more? Where can they get in contact with you uh, and any other information you'd like to share? Um, yeah, like everything is on GitHub. So github.com slash revolt. Um, we have everything there from like the architecture documents, uh, threat model. Um, we have a lot of like open questions or things we're looking into for the future. Um, and like, yeah, all the issues that we open on GitHub, uh, there is the code. So if you actually want to look into different part of the architecture, the different modules, different libraries, uh, we also have the demo if you want to run it. So quite a lot of stuff there. Um, we have a website, but it's kind of shitty right now. It's revolt.dev, um, but we're working on an on a update. So it should be changed quite soon to be uh, much more people friendly. Uh, right now it's just like, yeah, just a placeholder kind of. And uh, yeah, about me, I mean, you can send me an email, kevin at revolt.dev or find me on Twitter um, at K-L-O-A-E-C, Kevin Loeg. Welcome back, everybody. I'm not going to put the ad read in this episode. I'm just going to do it here because I really need to re-record my ad read because I think it's pretty outdated for for River. Uh, I think they're in like 35 states in the U.S. now, including six U.S. territories. 
Uh, so if you want to check out River, which in my opinion is one of the best places to buy and sell Bitcoin, if that's what you're into, you know, if you're not trying to do it on BISC and you're just looking for an easy uh, KYC institution, River is the way to go. So just check out river.com slash BEC and you'll get your first week of buy and sell orders with zero fees. I think up to $10,000 in volume. Anyway, if you like the show, really appreciate you listening. Uh, you can find all of our episodes at the bitcoinechochamber.com. As well, you can reach out to me at bitcoinechochamber at gmail.com if you have any questions or if you want to come on the show or something like that. And you can always reach out to me on Twitter too at heavilyarmedc. That's the letter C. I love hearing from you guys, and I really appreciate those of you that have listened through this show, despite the fact that it's not always the most regular show. I'm trying to fix that moving forward. But I will see you guys in the next one.